Good morning, church. Good morning. Are you nice and warm? Don't lie. You can't lie. <laughs> yeah, we had a really good pre-launch last week. And just thank you, for, you know, for those who prayed for us, who turned up, who encouraged us. Uh, it means so much to us. We're stepping out here in faith. And uh, to have the team, and thank you, Pastor Mark and the team, just for really setting us up to win. We want to see the kingdom of God, don't we, advance across the southwest. And uh, we're the first plant church. Yeah, first plant church, first of many. And um, I believe many more are coming. They're in the making. They're coming. And there's people maybe sat in this room today, and you'd never have, you know, even thought that it'd be possible that maybe somebody like you. Is that a phone? Da, da, da. <laughs> Santa um, would be, you know, would be called to plant a church. Maybe you are. So uh, yeah, we had a great, we had a great time, and uh, we were carol singing yesterday in Newton Abbot, Newton Abbot. Um, we had a really great time joining in with the Plymouth Life Group. So well done, and. Um, I managed to bribe some of my children to come along, one of my children to come along and sing. And I said, count your blessings that I'm not dressing you up like a sheep or a wise man or something like that. How many remember the days when, yeah? So I grew up in Oxford and we would go to the John Radcliffe Hospital every single year. And being a PK, a pastor's kid, we had to turn up boots blacked in little sheep outfits, wise men and Mary. And I was always the sheep. I was never Mary. My eldest sister, Sarah, was Mary, as always. And I was some sheep tagging along with my brothers. So, um, yeah, it was, it's all good fun. Okay, so we're going to read. Do you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 2 this morning? I'm going to read quite a, a long passage because I want us to really just be inspired this morning by the story. It's more than just a Christmas story. This is life-changing. This is the greatest event that has ever happened on the face of the earth. There is another event to come, and that is the glorious second coming of the Messiah, Jesus. We don't know when that's going to happen. The Father does. We don't. But this, what we're about to read now, is the greatest event that has ever happened. So turn to Luke chapter 2 the birth of Jesus. So it said, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. The time, the appointed time that God had for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Everyone say good news. 
that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. While the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, wow, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Jesus, the name above all names. What a, an incredible account that we've just read this morning. And, um, you know, all the way through the Old Testament, I want to take us back just a little bit this morning because I want to inspire us. Just got a few points I want to bring. But, you know, all the way through the Old Testament, thanks, Caroline. Let's give Caroline a round of applause. Thank you for doing that. We have some wonderful musicians, don't we, at Rediscover Church? Some really, truly excellent musicians, so thank you for serving. And um, so all the way through the Old Testament, it is clear that God wants to dwell with his people. It's so evident, so evident that God wants to come and dwell with people like you and like me. You can't get away from that fact. You go through and study right from Genesis, going straight through to the gospel narrative that Jesus, that, sorry, God wants to come and be with us. Let's look at some examples in Genesis right at the start. You see Adam and Eve and this wonderful relationship that Adam and Eve, Eve have with God. And it says that God, they could hear God walking in the cool of the day. Can you imagine having that close relationship with God that you can hear his footsteps? You hear him in the cool of the day, but we know that sin came and wrecked that relationship between God and man. But you know, I want to say to us this morning that God wasn't there. The moment that sin came, God wasn't there thinking, scratching his head, thinking, oh my goodness, what on earth am I going to do now? How am I going to fix this issue with sin? This great divide that has now happened between God and people. He wasn't thinking, I just, I need to come up with a plan. How many of us this morning know that Jesus Christ is not plan B? He's not an afterthought. Jesus Christ is the plan and the will of the Father on the earth. And the wonderful thing is, church, that he is here with us by his spirit. So we have that in Genesis. And then we come to Abraham, Father Abraham. And the promise that was given, I was going to come out a song then, but no, I'm not. <laughs> 
do it. Okay, and Abraham, and he was promised that through Abraham and his seed, which is Christ, that Abraham would father nations, that kings would come from Abraham. Are you getting the picture, church? This is not a plan B. This is God's perfect will and his plan. And if you look in Matthew, I haven't got time to do it. One of the Newton Abbott teams said, go on, just read through the whole genealogy. Go on, bore them. (laughs) I said, it's not boring, but we haven't got time this morning. But if you go through the whole genealogy in Matthew's gospel, it starts at Abraham going through Isaac and Jacob and Boaz, and David, and all of that, and Jehoshaphat. And he goes right way through to then Joseph from the line of David, and Mary, who gives birth to to Jesus. And then we've got Moses. We're moving on through the Old Testament because it's fulfilling. It's, It's pointing to Jesus, the Messiah, coming. And you have Moses, and God says to Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle. And this tabernacle was a portable sanctuary to house the ark. And the ark was the presence of God. Again, God telling us that he wants to dwell with us, to dwell with his people. It's not plan B. God wants to be where we are. He longs to be where we are. And then we have Isaiah. Don't we love Isaiah the prophet? Hundreds of years before Jesus comes, Isaiah prophesies that the Messiah will come. He prophesies the name of the Messiah and he prophesies how the Messiah will come. Let's just read from Isaiah, um, I think it's 7.14. It says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Come on church, this was 700 years before the coming of the Messiah. And then Isaiah, he also goes on, and this is for another day, but Isaiah 53, where Isaiah prophesies about how Jesus will die, how he will take the punishment upon himself, the punishment that brings us peace upon himself. And then we have Micah, a minor prophet. And this is incredible. Again, a couple of hundred years, seven or eight hundred years before the Messiah comes, Micah 5 says this, Micah 5 2, but out of you Bethlehem, Euphrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. This is talking again about the coming of the Messiah. Can we have one of those in Newton Abbott? Is that okay, Pastor Mark? I love that. I don't have to, yeah. (laughs) Coming on the earth. And so we've had centuries that's pointed the way to the Messiah coming. Centuries of prophets prophesying. Centuries of leaders and kings, the pharaohs, the Nebuchadnezzars, the Herods, the Ahabs, all putting themselves on thrones, all exalting themselves to highest places. We've had thousands of years of the early fathers seeing from afar the promised Messiah coming. How many of them in their day would have loved to have been where we are today? To be the other side of the cross in the fulfillment years. 
But they saw it from afar. And then in a small little town, there's 400 years between the Old and New Testament, Jesus arrives on the scene. The promised Messiah arrives on the scene. God came down in flesh to dwell amongst us. Let's never get almost complacent about the fact that God came down to dwell in us and we are living in the days where God is now dwelling by his spirit in our hearts and in our lives. So the time came for the baby to be born. You know, as a mother, I have birthed three children. I think they're out in youth this morning, okay? Three children. Can I just have a round of applause, please? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was easy. It was nothing. (laughs) And I have birthed three children. And, um, you know, as a mum who's birthed three children, you know when the time comes for the baby to be born. Nod with me, mothers. You know when the time comes for the baby to be born. And I remember one evening, we'd, said we'd had some friends around, and um, I remember, we didn't know Reuben was going to be, my firstborn was going to be a son, but I just had that feeling that he was going to be a boy. And uh, if he was going to be a boy, he was going to be called Reuben. Phil didn't have a choice in this, it was going to be Reuben. <laughs> And, um, and so I remember one night I was talking, I was, sorry, we'd said goodbye to some friends and um, I said to Phil, I said, Phil, I'm just going to stay up tonight. I said, I just don't feel like going to sleep. Um, and Phil says, okay, I, I'm going to go to bed. So Phil went to bed and um, I sat down, it was about 11 o'clock at night and I just sat there and suddenly <laughs> these birth pains started coming. And I'm getting a bit uncomfortable. I'm getting a bit sweaty. And um, as a woman, I'm going to educate you guys a little bit, all right? Because you haven't been through this and you never will. Um, (laughs) You kind of, it's like this massive tummy ache that comes over you. And so this tummy ache comes and I'm like, I'm okay with this. Everything's fine. That's fine. And at this point, I can hear Phil sweetly sleeping upstairs at this point and so yeah and so um but over a period of like an hour these birth pains started increasing and by this time I'm getting up from the sofa and I am just slowly pacing up and down my lounge and bear in mind all this time Phil is sweetly sleeping upstairs in the upper room and an hour later two hours later The pain is coming on fast and furious. And by this time, I'm pacing it, I'm pacing it. Um, And by 2 a.m., I'm now on all fours, banging the floor, banging the sofa. Phil's still sweetly sleeping upstairs. And then at 3 (laughs) a.m., when I could cope no more, I shouted, Phil, at the top of my lungs. Phil comes downstairs. And he asks the question that no man should ever ask a woman who is one, heavily pregnant, and two, in labor. Are you okay? (laughs) And we just looked at each other and he says, you need to go to hospital, don't you? And I said, yeah, we need to go. And anyway, a couple of hours later, Reuben, I was holding Reuben, my firstborn son. It's a miracle, isn't it? An absolute miracle and a joy. But Mary, her time had come. Do you know, men, I won't won't do any more details. Did you like that? I stopped. 
I stopped. That's it. Okay, we just went from being in labor to holding a baby. For the time had come for Mary to give birth to Jesus. That's the human side of it, isn't it, with Mary? We forget sometimes the human side of it. And God took on flesh at that point in time. Can I just remind us this morning of this great doctrine and truth? That Jesus was not created. Jesus did not come into existence when Mary gave birth to him. And it's so important, isn't it, that we remember that truth. In a world that is so confused, in a world that doesn't know what to believe, it's important that the church knows what she believes and what is the truth. You know, Jesus was begotten, not created. And begotten is this kind of old-fashioned word, if you like. And it simply means that, that Jesus and the Father had a special relationship, that Jesus was one of a kind. And it means there will never, ever be anyone like Jesus ever again. He is one of a kind. He's glorious, church. And he took, and God took on flesh that night, fully God, fully man. In fact, John's gospel puts it like this. John chapter 1, it says, da There we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. My favorite carol, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. I love it. I think every year, are we singing it on Friday? I will turn up then. I will turn up. And we're all going to turn up. It's going to be a great time. But Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And, and Hark the Herald Angels Sing was written by Charles Wesley. Put your hands if you've heard of Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer. And so he originally wrote Hark the Herald as a poem. And it's been adapted over the years. But in, seven, in 1739, he wrote Hark the Herald. And the reason behind writing Hark the Herald was because he was desperate for the people of his time who were uneducated, illiterate people, poor people. He was desperate for them to grab hold of the truth of who Jesus Christ really is. God in flesh. And this is what he penned down. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. We think of Jesus, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. And 300 years later, millions of people all over the world are singing this wonderful doctrine about how God came down in flesh. Love it, love it. The time came. The perfect plan and will of God at an appointed time came. Do you know what I find quite amusing, really, in all of this? You know, God, he is he's so perfect, you know. He's, he's the perfect planner. He's the perfect director of everything. Perfect creator. Has everything to perfection. His timing on everything throughout the years. That's why we can trust him. 
He's totally perfect. But then we have, when we look at who, Jesus, who God uses in this narrative, he uses Mary and Joseph, who are completely unprepared. There has been no planning involved. They're traveling a hard road down to Bethlehem. There's no pre-booking a hotel room. No pre-booking a hospital suite. We're not told of any midwives on the scene. There is very little preparation. And this morning, what I, as I was looking at this, I just feel to bring to people this morning in this room that you are finding yourselves in a season where you simply don't have a plan. Your plans have maybe gone out the window. They've been derailed in life. Maybe you've entered into retirement and you're saying to the Lord, Lord, what's the plan for my life next? Maybe you've started a business venture and it's completely derailed. Maybe this morning you are in a relationship or you've been in a relationship and it hasn't ended the way you wanted it to. It hasn't gone to plan. And I want us this morning as a church to take encouragement from this story this morning that even though Mary and Joseph, they found themselves without a plan. In fact, if you think about their story, they should have been having a wonderful celebration of getting married. You know, and if you, if you look at getting married, um, in those days, it would have been a week-long ceremony. It would have been beautiful, extravagant. The whole town would have come out to celebrate. And they were on the way, on the plan of their lives as a young couple to get married. And suddenly, that plan has been pulled away from them. And they are without a plan. Anybody felt like that? You suddenly find yourself without a plan. I want to encourage us this morning that although they were without a plan, because they had committed themselves and humbly come, remember Mary says, I am, the, I am the Lord's servant. Be to me as you said it would be. Because they had committed their way to the Lord, even when they were without a plan, they rested in the fact that they were in the great plans of God. We are in the great plans of God this morning. We are in the great plans of God this morning. I want to say that if that's you this morning, it's in this exact moment that God wants to father you. Allow God to father you because he's good at it. Some of you without a plan, you feel vulnerable, you feel weak about your future, you haven't got tomorrow's answers, but God has. He has you in the palm of his hand today. He's good at fathering you. There is this lovely um, passage in scripture, one of my favorite actually. It's a bit gory. Jesus has lived on the earth for 30 years. He's on the cross flesh. You imagine as a mother seeing your son. There's flesh coming out of his sides, his skull. There's blood coming down. This is your son. And even on the cross, Jesus is looking at his mother and he wants to take care of her. And he, he, he tells one of the other disciples, John, he says, 
Look after my mother. Take my mother. And this disciple takes Mary into his home and looks after her for the rest of her days. God wants to father us if we are on this difficult road. Because sometimes at Christmas with all the lights and everyone's got a happy face on, the reality can be sometimes far away from that for our lives. Allow God to father you this Christmas time. He took on flesh for the very reason of intimacy with us because he wanted to dwell with us. Psalm 149 says this, wonderful promise, for the Lord takes delight in his people. I don't care what you've done this week. The truth is he takes delight in you. He delights in you because he created you. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. What a promise this morning. If you are without a plan, maybe things have gone wrong. There's victory. He crowns the humble with victory. Let his faithful people rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. It's hard to sing for joy on your bed when you're in a a dark season. You know, the night times are often the hardest, aren't they? Right? I don't like winter. I find it very dark. I can't wait till Easter's on its way and it's bright and it's light and it's wonderful. All right? I, I find it hard, especially the Devon roads. No one prepared us for the Devon roads, can I say. Coming up from Manchester where everything's lit up, everything, you come to Devon and it's like, I cannot see anything. And Phil, at seven o'clock at night, he's saying, are you okay? Like, are you, you're not stuck down some farmer's field? I'm, no, I'm, 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 I'm getting there. Um, but the night times can often be the real darkest seasons because it's just before you need to get up for the next day. And if you haven't got the answers for the next day, you know that day's coming quickly upon you. You know, in 2019, I didn't sleep for the whole year. It was, it was one of the worst and probably best years of my life. And I won't go into it, but I just didn't sleep. I had chronic insomnia, right? After three months, you kind of, all right, I'm a bit tired now. You know, I've birthed three children. Um, and you, you're used to the, the kind of sleepless nights. But by month three, I was like, okay, I'm tired. By month six, I was exhausted. By month nine, I thought I was going to die. Because between the hours of 1 a.m. and 6 a.m., I would be up. Ding! And I found myself getting out of bed, going downstairs, and just frustratingly, in tears, worshipping my way through the early hours of each night and morning. But it was a wonderful season, really, Because in those times of worship, on the nighttime hours, in the nighttime hours, God did some amazing heart surgery in my life, some much needed stuff. And some of you here this morning, you're in that night season. And I pray, my prayer for you today is that like Mary, you will go, okay, this is the hard road that I'm on, but my soul will rejoice in the Lord and my spirit will. We're rejoicing God, my Savior. Amen.
Amen. And finally this morning, finally this morning, I want to mention the wonderful shepherds. The wonderful shepherds. You know, let me just ask this question. And the question is this as we finish. What will and what does the visitation of a king and his kingdom mean to us personally? As individuals, as a church, as our communities, as our families in our homes, what is this visitation going to mean to us personally? You know, when God came in flesh, he announced the birth of Jesus to a bunch of shepherds. He announced it to them in a field of all places, not a glorious tabernacle, temple. He announced it in a field to some shepherds. And this is what happened. It said God sent an angel to tell them that they would, they would find a baby in a manger. And then God sent some more angels. Wouldn't you just love that? God sent more angels. And they started singing, glory to God in the highest, glory to God in the highest. And the shepherds that day witnessed what many of us, I guess, would love to see and hear in our own lifetimes. You know, I don't think we talk about the supernatural enough in the body of Christ. And the shepherds, they heard and they saw these angels singing. You know, all around the world, and especially in times of revival and awakening across the earth, there's been times and accounts where people have got together, a bit like we did with Prepare Him Room. They would get together and they would simply exalt the name of Jesus together. And then people would say, you know, I can hear. I can hear something. I can hear as if choirs of angels are joining us in worshipping Jesus. And that excites me when I hear stories like that from the Hebrides, from the Azusa awakening. Lord, will you do it again? Will your presence on the earth be so tangible in your church? Awaken us, Lord, that angels can't help, choirs of angels can't help but join the church as she gathers because we are so lifting up the name of Jesus. We are so exalting his name. And you know, it doesn't just need to happen in corporate gatherings like this. It can happen in our home. Happen in our home. And you know, that day, the, the angels of the band, do you want to come up? Thank you, band. And you know, that day, the angels, sorry, the shepherds, when they heard the angels glorifying God, right? I believe they had two options. And this is what I want to really kind of point out this morning. They had two options. Option one, the shepherds could have just stayed in that field and been so amazed and wowed at the angels or go to Bethlehem and see for themselves. As a church, are we going to see for ourselves? Because I think for so long, the church, we are amazed at maybe what we do. And the church does some great stuff. I'm not decrying that. The church does some great stuff. But we can be amazed at what goes on. But how many of us know that amazement soon wears off? And I think sometimes people come into the church and they're amazed by the welcome. They're amazed by different things. But you see, amazement is a feeling that comes and it goes. 
Amazement is the signpost that takes us deeper and greater to the reality of Christ. It's what it does. When Jesus was on the earth and he ministered, you can read the gospel accounts. Get into the gospel accounts. They're incredible. Just keep reading them. It says, crowds were amazed at Jesus' teaching, his authority, the miracles, the wonders. And of course we are. (laughs) Of course we are. But you know, on the day of Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit came, there was just 120 people in the upper room. 120 believers that gathered. It tells me that the crowd were amazed for that moment but forgot to treasure and ponder the living one. What will the visitation of a king and his kingdom do in our lives? None of us know, none of us know how much time we have to live on the face of the earth. You know, every time I meet with the Lord, I am always amazed that He would want to meet with me. I'm amazed. I can't get over it. That God would want to come and tabernacle with me. Let's not rob ourselves of being with Him where He is. When prepare him room went on, I spent the first hour just in absolute tears, sobbing, saying, oh Lord, I haven't felt this intimacy for a long time. (laughs) And God powerfully and so graciously met with me when I was just at the back there with snot and tears and everything else. And he so graciously met with me because distractions come, don't they? And we get so caught up in our own little business, praying this coming Christmas and going into 2023 as a church, that we would so get hold of what God is doing, that we would go and meet Him. We would do what it takes. We would, if, it, if we need to get up, get up. We need to get up early. I have to get up. Phil goes, he laughs at me about getting up early. But you know, can I be really honest? If I don't get up early to seek the Lord, it will never happen that day. I have to. Because it won't happen. And when I don't, it doesn't happen. Surprise, surprise. That's just for me. I'm not saying what you need to do, but I have to. And am I tired? Yeah. (laughs) But I come out of it just enjoying such intimacy that God would want to tabernacle with me. And that's the truth. Holy Spirit, will you come upon us as a church? Yeah, fill us with amazement and wonder. But Lord, we want to go beyond just a temporary fix. We want to be people who stay in your presence, who walk in your presence, who are aware of your presence. We want intimacy with you. The great story, but I'll just finish up here, but the great story about the shepherds, you know, 
if they hadn't have pursued Jesus and seen him face to face, remember it was a choice. They would have robbed themselves of becoming what I believe is true worship in spirit and in truth because they met the Savior. They'd have robbed themselves, not only robbed themselves, but they would have robbed that town of hearing the good news that was great joy for all people. See, they became witnesses. See, intimacy, yes, it's for us, but it's also for the world that God so loved. There's a world that needs to know good news that is great joy for all people. May God bless his word to our hearts. Lord, move in power. Bring us ever closer to you in these days. What days we are living in. What days we are living in. Amen. Thanks, Mandy.